people are getting exemptions sometimes a week before they pass away. And it's like, why are we waiting until people are basically leaving this earth to be able to offer them healing? Like, we should be able to offer this as a frontline defense. Like, instead Mm -hmm. of... Like, okay, here's some pills, and that's your only option, and maybe do some talk therapy on the side. Like, this should be also on that menu of options for patients. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Mushroom Podcast. Today, we have Holly Bennett on the show. She is the communications director for Theracil, and I wanted to have Holly on for a couple reasons. One... I love Theracil and everything they're doing in the space. And two, you may have heard some buzz recently in the media uh, or on our Instagram or through our newsletter about Canadians getting medical access to psilocybin through what's called the Special Access Program. Uh, This is something that's been around for a very long time, but recently, as of January 5th, there was an amendment to the program, and I could not really distill or figure out who this was for what the process was of getting exemption through the program. Uh, So enter Holly. She uh, is going to drop some knowledge on us and break down how this works in conjunction with Section 56 and uh, where we're at in the legal framework with Health Canada around the medical use of psilocybin. Okay, here we go. Enjoy, everyone. Here we are. Holly Bennett, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. I'm, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm a little nervous, but I'm mostly excited, so I appreciate it. Awesome. Nervous excitement. Those are two, two good emotions combined together. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to learn about the special access program and Section 56 exemptions and everything that's going on in the world of uh, psilocybin-assisted therapy that you guys are working on there at Theracil, and you are the communications director at Theracil. Yeah. So how long have you been working with them? Oh, so I started volunteering with Theracil in, I want to say May 2020. So previous to Theracil, I was uh, with a large cannabis company. Um, Mm. Rhymes with Schman Schmi Schmof. It was was Canopy Growth. I was with Canopy (laughs) Growth. Um, And so I was doing retail marketing for Tweed, um, basically just retailing recreational weed, which uh, was fun, but it didn't align with my values at all or Mm. my purpose. Um, And then I was laid off along with 200 other wonderful people um, when the pandemic hit, um, which sucked. Um, But I had been thinking for a while about, you know, what is the next thing I'd been in cannabis for about eight years at that point. And I was like, psychedelics, psychedelics, and, you know, reading a bit about them. And so I posted something on my LinkedIn, um, just saying, you know, Got laid off, looking to volunteer, looking to spend some time. I'm on CERB, so I've got a little money in my pocket and a bunch of time. And uh, Spencer, our CEO, I literally have no idea how he found me or found that message, but he messaged me on LinkedIn, said, hey, uh, I'm working on a little project. Would love to chat with you. We've got a great skill set. And so we set up a little meeting, and that was in May 2020. I volunteered with Theracil for about a month. they got a little bit of funding, so I was able to get a little bit of money, and then it eventually, I think around like July or August, turned into like a full-time gig. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I started right. with them. So it was basically just Spencer and I for a few months at the beginning there. Oh, wow. So just you guys were the original Crusaders. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely some volunteers. Um, Bruce Tobin, our founder, of course, he was heavily involved. 
Um, but in terms of like day to day, Monday to Friday, nine to five, we were the ones grinding on this project. So <laughs> Right. And now this yeah. little project has turned into quite a big project. Yeah, I, it's not even a project anymore. It's a full-fledged <laughs> movement, yeah. advocacy movement. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting. And I, I just feel so blessed that uh, he slid into my DMs on LinkedIn and I was just <laughs> able to, like, have this opportunity fall into my lap at a time when... Because I keep thinking, like, if, if this opportunity had come to me while I was still working at Canopy mm. Growth, I probably would have said no because I've got, like, hey. a really good corporate job and like why would i leave that to go volunteer for a nonprofit i've never heard of right. um seems like so a pretty risky career decision <laughs> yeah yeah um right. so yeah it, it just came at the right time which was so yeah. lovely yeah well there's been some silver linings out of this pandemic that's for sure yeah. um so in your work like why was it that uh canopy growth had to lay everyone off when the pandemic hit I'm like, not sure about all of the different departments. I know for my department specifically, because I was in retail marketing, um, my job and my team's job was to market at the time. I don't know how many there are now. There are 17 tweed branded cannabis stores across Canada. And mm -hmm. so it was our job to basically drive people to those stores. And then once they're in the stores, you know, get them to, to buy weed. Um, right, right. <laughs> but when the pandemic hit, those stores had to close down. So... For a while there, it was like, well, there's nothing to market. Um, gotcha. So I think they were just like, well, we don't know how long this pandemic's going to last. Let's mm -hmm. cut it down to a skeleton crew. And then I do believe they started hiring people back. But at that point, I was already, you know, well into Theracil and was like, yeah, I'm good. Like, this is this is what I wanted to be doing. Right. That's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. Did they call you back? Like, were no. they... <laughs> no, no, I was only working with them for eight months. So I was a relatively oh, okay. new team member. Um, I was, you know, relatively low on the totem pole. I was like associate retail marketing manager. Um, gotcha. And yeah, quite frankly, if they did hit me back, I would say, yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm good. But thank you. Yeah. Um, right. and I did learn a lot. I, I don't want to slam my experience there. I learned a ton. I was on an awesome team. Um, mm -hmm. But the day to day work was just not aligned with helping people like it was like we're just we're trying to sell some weed i'm like eh i've done that yeah you know yeah. like <laughs> no I, doubt i don't need to sell weed for a big corp yeah just selling products yeah to get people to buy more and all the exactly. ridiculous strains that they're bringing out and it's all very just like uh you know yeah catchy tactics sales tactics like uh, i i 100%. totally understand yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and marketing cannabis is is crazy difficult because of all the, the regulations to do with advertising. So, mm. you know, like everything we do had to be like ran through a lawyer. And uh, right. I was just like this, you know, it's not, it's not so fun to do that when you're like any mm -hmm. creative idea I have, it's probably illegal to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's a very difficult creative uh, container to work with in. 100%. You're constantly breaking the law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, now look at what you're doing. I mean, uh, really tiptoeing in that uh, on the line in the gray area there with, with psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. So in moving into that world, like what what, what uh, drew you to psychedelics in the first place? It's a good question. So I've struggled with my mental health for mm. I want to say conservatively 11 years. Like I was formally diagnosed, you know, depressed 
um, when I was 17. I'm 28 now. Hmm. Um, and at that same time I was diagnosed as depressed, I was also diagnosed with an eating disorder. I was uh, struggling with anorexia. And so I was like coming out of high school, going into first year university, struggling with all this. And when I was in, I was in like an, in, not an inpatient program, but an outpatient program for um, my eating disorder. And hmm. I was just thinking like, a lot of us aren't getting better. Like I got better. And I think that's because I had early intervention. Um, like my parents were like, you're sick. Here's a referral. We're going to get you into the hospital. Like, let's go. They were awesome. But right. a lot of people suffer for a long time before mm. getting diagnosed or a lot of people don't have access to these services. There's like eight inpatient beds for eating disorders in all of Ontario. It's like, wow. yeah, it's it's severely underfunded. Mm. And I remember just constantly thinking like as I was going through recovery post my outpatient program, there's there's got to be other options for mental health. And at that point, I was also put on antidepressants and I'm still on antidepressants 11 mm. years later. Wow. And so it was just this like really starting to wrestle with like there's not a lot of great mental health treatment options for a lot of different disorders. I've got a lot of mental health issues in my family hmm. and I started to use psychedelics recreationally. And I feel like this is like everybody's story, like struggling with mental right. health, yeah. took some mushrooms. It's like, oh, there's something <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> but honestly, what the first time I, I started taking psychedelics, it was mushrooms. That was like my first foray into it I took it with an ex-boyfriend hmm. um and I don't know yeah it's, it's ineffable as like most experiences are just being able to to see kind of the bigger picture and something mm -hmm. bigger than that and noticing there's got to be something here there's got to be some medicinal value um like this isn't all fun and games and I I'm feeling emotions in deeper ways and just all mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. and then I also remember watching a documentary about people who had cluster headaches um, or intense migraines who are using yeah. uh, psilocybin to abort or prevent those. And just also finding that incredibly fascinating, being like, how how does this mushroom work on a physical condition? Like, I don't right. get that at all. And quite frankly, I still don't understand how it works. Yeah. I don't think the scientists even do. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then I read this book. Um, I think the author's name was Jay Brown and it was called like The New Science of Psychedelics. Uh, at the nexus of culture and spirituality and science. And it was just talking about all of the different psychedelics. And then the last chapter or the couple chapters were about like death and psychedelics. And so all of these things started to like weave into my life. Um, and as I mentioned near kind of the end of my cannabis career, reaching about like the seven, eight year mark, I was really starting to think, I, I want to get back to helping people and I've moved now into this like recreational part of cannabis that I'm not really into. I want to be more in the medical side because I was in the medical side of the, uh, the cannabis industry for a while, actually like one-on-one -on -one helping people choose what strains would be good for them, helping yeah. them choose what methods of consumption would be good for them based on their actual medical needs. Mm. Um, and that was probably one of the most fulfilling parts of my career was being able to sit down with an individual, hear their story and then say, I know what we're going to do for you. And like right. low key playing doctor. Um, but th <laughs> right. there was a doctor also there to say like, okay, you, you can have two grams a day or whatever. Um, right. yeah, so it all just kind of started to thread together and learning mm. more and understanding that my my own mental journeys maybe could have been fixed faster or better mm. or more deeply um with an additional aid and i mean 
the the current like pharmaceutical model we have i'm not knocking pharmaceuticals at all i truly believe i have found a great value in taking antidepressants but i'm Mm. at the point as well where i'm like i've been on these for 11 years and i i don't have access to a psychiatrist and right I don't know how to come off of them on my own mm-hmm. and there's never really a great time to experiment with my mental health like i i have to be a fully functioning human all the time right. so mm. yeah it would just be nice if there was other ways to treat mental health and physical health yeah and was that a conversation with your doctor when you went on to your um ssris no are they antidepressants uh, uh the, yeah the they're, convers- yeah they're ssris there was no okay. conversation about how long i was going to be on them to right. be fair there might have been um but i was 17 hmm. at the time so that could have been a conversation that happened with my parents that i wasn't privy to i was also really sick like my brain right. wasn't functioning um yeah. so i could have just been like yeah yeah i'll take them and like sure. i don't there's a large chunk of my life during that period that's just missing like my brain has mm-hmm was not functioning to its full capacity. So, but that's also strange, right? Is like nobody, that wasn't super clear to me as the patient that you could be on these for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that's that's not a part of the conversation. And that's what I think everyone, yeah, kind of like what I'm hearing from you is something that I resonate with too, is uh, the potentiality of lost time. Right. Like, uh, oh, if I had have found this or work or, if you know, um, let's say that the the rug didn't get pulled out from the scientists working back in the 50s and the 60s on this stuff, where would we be today and what access would we have and how much time would we have saved in people's lives uh, in having access to better mental health services? Absolutely. And how many lives could have been saved during that time? Right. It's not. Yeah. Like we're seeing now. People are getting exemptions sometimes a week before they pass away. And it's like, why are we waiting until people are basically leaving this earth to be able to offer them healing? Like, we should be able to offer this as a frontline defense. Like, instead Mm of, like, okay, here's some pills and that's your only option and maybe do some talk therapy on the side. Like, this should be also on that menu of options for patients. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That'd be amazing. That's, you know, that's, I think, the the dream for everybody working in this industry is like, you know, SSRIs and antidepressants, like you said, do have their place, but let's put this on the menu. Let's just, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do it. If you're more comfortable with the traditional route and that's working for you, like, you know, don't fix something that isn't broken either. Right. Like, uh, but for people that have treatment resistant depression or have like gone through many forms of SSRIs and they're doing nothing's working for them. We got to get that out there. So, Yeah. So on that note, the the regulations around let's just we're just going to speak to psilocybin today specifically, Please, right? Because yeah. that's that's what you guys are using at, at Theracil, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, just like we were talking about the Schedule J and like how how psilocybin falls into Schedule J. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that means as far as like Health Canada's regulations are concerned? For sure. So um, psilocybin, along with other psychedelics, is considered a restricted drug um and i believe that also means health canada says there's no medicinal value to these drugs so you know lsd um psilocybin cocaine heroin like they're all kind of lumped together and like Mm. they're restricted they're they're bad drugs now Mm. recently which is very exciting um is health canada said 
these restricted drugs now actually they may have medical potential and we're going to let certain people request access to them through this special access program and Canada's special access program has been around for a long time I don't actually don't even know when it started but Mm. it's been around long enough that prior to 2013 um, these restricted drugs were actually available through the special access program. So a doctor could technically say, my patient needs access to MDMA or psilocybin or, or heroin, um, and I'd like them to get it from a Health Canada approved licensed dealer so they know, you know exactly what they're getting. It's been manufactured safely. In 2013, Harper, the Harper administration said, actually, no, like we don't want anybody to be able to access these restricted drugs through this program. So they they said, no, you can't access um, restricted drugs through this program. Recently, that decision was repealed. And so we've gone back right. to the twenty prior 2013 era, which is phenomenal. Okay, um, wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that we've, we've jumped back. I thought it was just kind of this steady progression. But uh, yeah, to know that for eight years, we kind of lost it. And now we're just back to where we were. Uh, exactly. Is, is, I guess it's not really surprising uh, when you think about the Harper administration, but <laughs> yeah. it's another story, yeah. another conversation. Uh, so, okay, so now the Section 56 exemptions that you guys are working with, that was yeah. the the strategy, I guess, up until January 5th is when the amendments to the special access program of this year. So we're just yes. talking three three weeks ago, not even mm-hmm. two and a half weeks ago. Um now let's let's just talk about before we go full on into special access. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Section Fifty Six. Fe- Section sure. Fifty Six. How that's been working? Because that's been the tool for Theracil to get. I think you know you guys are at a hundred people. Fifty five. Yeah, fifty five patients, nineteen healthcare patients. professionals. So many more in the queue. Yes. Um, so Section Fifty Six or a Section Fifty Six exemption is basically this exemption that um, the Minister of Health can authorize for an individual, an organization, or a class of people and say, you're exempt from the Canadian Drugs and Substances Act. So how I like to explain it um, for patients as it relates to psilocybin is when a patient receives a Section 56 exemption for psilocybin, it basically decriminalizes the small amount of psilocybin for that individual. Mm. So they are allowed to possess use, transport, and destroy um, X amount of psilocybin. Most exemptions are for, I believe, about five grams. Um, I'm sorry, my dog just barked. Um, <laughs> there, it, it decriminalizes that amount for that person. Um, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't help that individual actually access the medicine. The government says, you can have it, but we don't want to know. Well, they do want to know where they're getting it from. And the patient says, mm-hmm give me the dignity to to get this from my trusted source um but they basically they they the government doesn't want to be involved in the sourcing at all um they yeah so patients then have to go to the illicit or the unregulated market to procure Mm -hmm. their medicine uh that could mean a friend that could mean a family that could mean you know there's dispensaries popping up in vancouver and i presume other cities um that could mean that they grow their own own. yeah exactly (laughs) exactly So uh, this is Section 56. It allows them to use uh, psilocybin for the purpose, and this is explicit in the exemptions, for the purpose of psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy. Um, so the, the government wants the patient to use it, you know, in in, uh, in the presence of a healthcare professional who's ideally trained in this modality. 
Right. And another thing I learned from uh, one of the patients you guys helped, Thomas, was that Mm. the Section 56 exemptions also have a time limit on them of Mm. about one one year. Is that correct? Yeah, one year. And why do they do that? (laughs) That's a good question. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, Maybe just just to not open the door that that person now has like, you know, a lifetime exemption for the use of an illicit substance. But it's really strange in someone like Thomas's case where you're you're giving this exemption to someone with an end of life or like late stage illness uh, to give that to them. That felt really weird and gross to me specifically because you're like, well, this person's already, you know, uh, they've already got a timeline. You know, most of us, you know, we're all going to die someday, but most of us don't really know that it's going to happen within, you know, a certain months or years. Right. So that that's weird. But I guess, you know, that's what's complicated about uh, these exemptions and and how you, you know, do one by one. Is there is there some work on like a case by case that they can change different things within the exemption? Uh, How do you mean? Uh, for like timelines or does it have to be a, a one year a one year timeline I mean I'm I presumably they could shorten it but I don't know if they're willing to do longer yeah. than a year and and the reason I'm thinking this is is because let's say it is like a prescription like right. no doctor is I, I, I think allowed to prescribe you any medicine for longer than a year's supply like even when I was okay. working in a medical cannabis clinic like the maximum yeah. you could prescribe cannabis for was a year. So here's like a yearly prescription, one gram a day, um, come back in four, six months or a year. Um, but yeah. And I think that's the same with, with most medicines. Like, I don't think a doctor can write you like a three year supply of something and then just like, see you later, see you in three years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And so then you would just have to reapply at the one year point. But from what I've heard, the section 56 exemption process is quite grueling and uh, can be challenging too. <laughs> like you said, there's only been 55 plus 19, right? So yeah. that's that's it in total in the history of Canada. Is that correct? There's probably some more, um, just not mm. supported by Therasil. So we're gotcha. pretty transparent with the, the metrics in terms of like this many people have gotten exemptions mm-hmm. this how many are in the queue that sort of thing so it's very possible that there's healthcare professionals um you know working in other organizations or just on their own who also do section 56s but they're not you know they're not putting out a tweet every time a new <laughs> exemption right. gets approved right okay. so you guys um, are all over that yeah, I mean, we like to let people know. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're very, very careful about patient confidentiality. So we never say, like, you know, like, oh, John Smith got their exemption. Like, that's not our place. Um, right. But in terms of transparency and advocacy, it's great to let people know when the system's working and when the system's just, just not working. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Special access program. So fast forward yeah. to January 5th of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rolled back uh, to pre 2013 and break that down for us like what does that all mean what uh how does this change the traditional process of the section 56 to help for sure so i'll start with you know what is the special access program um traditionally the special access program was used for doctors or nurse practitioners prescribing healthcare practitioners to be able to request Uh, drugs that aren't available for sale or are not marketed in Canada. So an example of this is uh, Trichafta, which is a drug for cystic fibrosis that was Mm. recently actually approved in Canada in, I believe, June or July of 2021. 
But prior yeah. to that, um, it was approved in other countries, not approved in Canada. And so patients with cystic fibrosis who had very limited um, lung capacity, lung functionality, they could request this drug. Actually, their doctors had to request it for them on their behalf through the special access program. Um, it's also used for um, novel cancer drugs that may not be approved in Canada yet or HIV drugs that aren't approved in Canada yet. So mm. it, the system is not designed for psychedelics, um, especially when you think of the fact that like most often psychedelics for them to be you know, most effective for certain mental health conditions probably should be used in the context of psychedelic psychotherapy. So yes. traditionally they're more used for Here's a drug. Take the drug, heal right. the problem or the symptom. Right, right. Um, so yeah, in on January fifth, twenty twenty two, Health Canada repealed the Harper uh, twenty thirteen uh, decision to not allow restricted drugs, and they said, okay, you can now request restricted drugs through the special access program. Um, to us, we're most interested in psilocybin. Um, that's the the only psychedelic we focus on. So what that means in practice is a healthcare professional could, on behalf of their patient, request uh, psilocybin from a Health Canada approved licensed dealer. Um, from uh, Sorry, they could request psilocybin from a Health Canada approved licensed dealer on behalf of their patient and then be able to administer that to their patient. Hmm. Um, in reality, though, the special access program is for very serious cases, and the government defines it as, you know, um, medical emergencies for the seriously ill, when all other treatment options have failed, or when other treatment options are either unsuitable or unavailable. So when you compare and contrast Section 56 to um, the SAP program, there's there's quite a few people actually through the, who have gotten exemptions through the section 56 that actually probably wouldn't meet the criteria of the SAP. So I'm talking mm. about individuals um, who are in remission from cancer, but still dealing with a lot of distress as a result right. of their former diagnosis or who are just dealing with mental health in general. Um, mm. So because the special access program is for emergency use only, um, we're not sure actually in practice what the threshold of serious is for the government mm. anybody who's dealt with mental health issues you know what's it's pretty serious, serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you know yeah. that things are are very serious when you are mm. you know severely depressed or anxious or have an eating disorder for example but we don't know if health canada considers an eating disorder serious we don't know if they mm. consider um anxiety serious we do know however that um and this is on a, uh, a frequently asked questions page of the government website intractable depression is considered serious by the government so intractable meaning basically treatment resistant right. um so that is that is good um they also yeah. say terminal cancer um is serious um so i think a lot of the work that we're going to be doing over the next little while is is testing this program and saying right. do you think this person is worthy of access? Do you think this person is worthy of access? Um, mm. And the application process that the healthcare practitioner needs to, to fill out on behalf of their patient, it's eight pages long. Like it's, wow. it's, a, it's a crazy it's application. A yeah. 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 Health Canada says it takes about two hours to fill out and they have to include a ton of clinical rationale. So hmm. 
let's say it's for depression, what are all the antidepressants your your patient has tried? Have they done talk therapy? Have they done DBT? Have they done CBT? Have they mm. done, you know, hypnosis? I'm just I'm just joking. I don't think they would ask that, but they're going to want to know all of the things the patient has tried, how long they've been suffering for, how it's impacted their life. Then they're going to mm. want to see all of the research as it relates to psilocybin for depression. Mm. Um so there's a ton of clinical rationale that's needed for each individual case. Right. So it's going to be uh, predicated on a lot of these clinical trials that are going on right now, too. With, you know, I feel like there's enough clinical trials on psilocybin at this point. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. else they're, they're trying to see uh, as far as uh, if you even just talk about psilocybin and depression. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's enough work that's done there since uh, probably like 2016 when all those Johns Hopkins studies were coming out, right? You'd think Absolutely. that'd be enough. but um, You would think. Well, it's a slow-moving process. Always. It's very slow. And what we don't know is if Health Canada considers psilocybin from company A as the same Mm. as psilocybin from company B or C. So let's say company A has done, you know, clinic, uh, stage, what's, (laughs) phase three, (laughs) stage three, phase three (laughs) clinical trials on their um, psilocybin product. We don't know if that same uh, clinical trials are accepted as rationale for this company's Mm. psilocybin, or if it has to be you know, each company's own psilocybin product has to have their own clinical research. We're not sure about that. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I saw that, um, you know, some of these uh, publicly traded companies that are coming out and doing research and development on various um, derivatives of psilocybin, they have licenses to explore, I think, like 37 different compounds, right? So now it's like <laughs> rolling the dice on that, right? It's like, hey, will this one, like, look at all the research on this? Uh, derivative of the compound, uh, mm-hmm. but that might not translate over to, to any other ones, um, which is just so funny because I just think about like, oh, you just eat some mushrooms, ground them down and put them in a tea and let's let's go. <laughs> exactly. Come on, and guys. It's, it's, <laughs> not overthink again, this. We don't, we don't know <laughs> if mushrooms are even going to be accessible through this. Like we don't know if fruiting right. bodies are going to be accessible. We're, we're thinking mm-hmm. probably not um, yeah. because... Uh, you know, five grams of this strain of mushrooms is not the, the same as five grams of this strain of mushroom grown in a different lab. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's much easier to compare a synthesized or extracted product, for example. So, um, yeah. yeah, patients who want fruiting bodies and want to, to drink a mushroom tea as their medicine mm-hmm. as opposed to take a capsule. Right. Mm, they don't really have that option through the special access program, as far as we know. But in the Section 56 exemption where they're kind of like, you know, don't tell us, yeah. <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to, don't tell us where we got them from, uh, exactly. then you can use, I guess, whatever you, you choose to use. Absolutely. Right? Whatever strain mm. of mushroom you however can find you and also it. suits your fancy and however you want to take it. If you want to take it on a peanut butter sandwich or if you want to take it uh, on yeah. a pizza or in a tea or just down yeah. the hatch, right? Right, right, right. Fascinating. So... Uh, so then what what else for this the special access program? I, I understand a little bit more now because I saw when you guys posted it back in, in January, like breaking news. And it was like, whoa, and I had a few friends reach out to me and they were like, psilocybin's legal. And I was like, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. <laughs> I don't like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, yeah. Is this a step forward then? Like, uh, or is it now, it, I just, it's, it's another, I guess, small step towards mm-hmm. now kind of understanding the inner workings of health Canada 
and now like what you guys said to push and say like well what about this what about that like do you consider yeah. this is that the is that the new strategy now they've like kind of opened themselves like it's like they cracked the door open a little bit yeah to see inside and now you can have a little bit more information mm-hmm. of how they like work on one hand it's great because health canada has said this has some medicinal value, so much medicinal value, in fact, that that we'll let you give it to your patient if you access it and you give us the right clinical rationale and everything. Um, but to me, okay, so if this is regulations, and by regulations I mean I can go to my family doctor, we have a discussion about psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy, they write me a medical document for it, um, and this this therapy or this treatment could be prescribed just like any other treatment option. Um, that's kind of like the goal here and what we're advocating for. If that's regulations and section 56 is here, I would say the SAP program is like here. Like it's, it's a step, it's a little step up, but it's, it's almost on par with section 56 in terms of the level of bureaucracy involved. Um, the level of burden for either a patient or a healthcare professional, a patient for section 56 and a healthcare professional for the SAP. It still mm-hmm. places the decision of access in the hands of somebody at the governmental level, not right. um, in not in the hands of a patient's healthcare provider. So you still have to, right. to go kind of up the chain to get access for something. Um, so there's definitely pros and cons to both of them. But the, the way I'm thinking of this is, wow, it took them like a year to do a, 60 days to do a public consultation when they first announced like we're thinking of uh, access uh, being able to access drugs through a special access program they put out a consultation period they wanted to know what stakeholders thought you know individuals organizations we wrote a letter um, regarding what we thought about the special access program then it took them mm-hmm. a year to actually analyze all of that data and say okay yeah we'll we'll open this up to, to access through the SAP um, it would have been really nice if they could have used that year to just move towards regulations. Um, right. Cause it right. just, it, it took so much time. And uh, in the meantime, people are suffering, people are dying, mm-hmm. people need access. Mm-hmm. And so now you're just making it like another step. And you know, you said your friends are reaching out to you saying, Oh dude, like it's legal now. And these headlines are killing me, man. Like, especially as yeah. a communications person, like reading a headline being like, psychedelics are legalized for medical use and it's like i guess but not really and (laughs) it's giving a lot of people false hope and that's not what we need we need people to understand the reality of the situation which is at least for the first little while unless you are very very seriously ill and this is the only option for you Mm. the government's probably not going to grant you access they're they're doing this incredibly cautiously which i understand they're the government like yeah. They, they can't just say drugs for all, right? So Right. They don't yeah. want a nightmare situation on their hands. Uh, I yeah. get it. You know, it takes one person to have a, a bad trip and then it gets Absolutely. out there and, you know, there's these scary stories and then we're back in the dark ages of psychedelics again. Yeah, for sure. Everybody has a story of, you know, somebody tripping on LSD who did something weird and then it's like, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not worth it. And that's why we're super cautious as well. Like as much as we want regulations, we're, we're cautious in who we support with this, uh, with our section 56 exemptions. We want to make sure it's a right fit for them. Uh, want to make sure that, you know, clinically, um, it makes sense, um, and that they're supported, uh, well with therapists who are trained in the specific modality. This isn't the same as just regular talk therapy, or this isn't the same as, you mm-hmm. know, any any other treatment quite frankly 
Yeah, no kidding. So then is it Theracil's mission now to just on a case-by-case basis decide which route it would be more efficient and effective, like either Section 56 or special access? Yeah, this is something our clinical team is working through right now and trying to figure out. Um, we're, we'll ideally have to have a decision tree where it's like, okay, a patient approaches mm-hmm. us. Are they eligible for the SAP? And I mean, part of that is like, we won't even really know until we've tested this a couple of times. And that decision tree is likely to shift and change based on what we see the government doing, what drugs they're approving, what psilocybin products they're approving and for what conditions and what level of clinical rationale they need. Um, Mm. So yeah, that's very much in the clinical team's hands. Um, So we're going to submit a couple test cases um, to hopefully get a little bit more knowledge. Um, Everything that we've read uh, is one thing, but when you put it actually into practice, we don't know yet. So, um, in an ideal world though, we would be able to support a patient with both, um, and say, we're going to submit a section 56 exemption for you and an SAP application for you. Um, and you know, whichever one comes first and whichever one is more suited to your needs. Like if you, if you need a synthetic, SAP, great. If you want access to uh, fruiting bodies, real psilocybin mushrooms, let's do section 56. So uh, yeah, on a case by case basis. I mean, the issue is, I mean, we're a super small nonprofit. And when I say our clinical team, I'm really talking about about one person um, and like a volunteer. (laughs) So yeah, I'm talking about (laughs) Natasha. So like, uh, we wish we could help every single person who contacts Mm. us. um, And it it kills us that we can't. Um, but the reality right. of the situation is it takes an immense amount of time and resources and effort even to support one application. Um, mm. So we don't have the ability. We know we're a bottleneck. Um, yeah. And that's why we're advocating for regulations because we shouldn't be a bottleneck. Um, nobody should be a bottleneck for this. The only bottleneck should be like, oh, you've got to wait a couple of days to get an appointment with your doctor to discuss this yeah. with them. Absolutely. Um, so that's why we're very much like sure sap good step in the right direction but it's not enough like right why do we still have to be involved in this process and right. uh if we do our jobs right i won't be working at theracil in a couple of years because people will have access and like i i yeah. wouldn't i would be so happy if that was the case um yeah even though i freaking love my job man but of it, course yeah. like yeah if I could work myself out of a job because we've been successful at, at you know, getting regulations made, phenomenal. That's I mm-hmm. couldn't ask for anything more. I think that's an amazing uh, quality to have within an organization. And I was I was uh, hanging out with Natasha a couple mm. weeks ago, and she made that same joke that you know our entire mission statement is that so that we can all basically like fire ourselves from <laughs> from the jobs that we currently have because that yeah. would mean that we made real progress. Yeah. And that's cool because it does show that there is a there's a missing piece in like fundamentally within a system right if you have to have an organization step in to be like a cog in the wheel it's like it was already missing a spoke to begin with so the fact that you guys have to go in there to be like okay let's get this wheel rolling yeah uh, just shows how broken it is uh, to begin with right so absolutely um, and i mean we we say that very jokingly but even when regulations are um, put in place. And I say when, not if, cause it will be a when, um, yeah. there's other advocacy work that's going to need to be done. We're going to oh. need to advocate for this to be covered by insurance. We're going to need to advocate yeah. for, 
um, healthcare practitioners to have this taught to them in medical school and not have to learn this on their own. Uh, We're still going to need to train healthcare practitioners in how to facilitate this. Um, And there's still always going to need to be research to be done. So um, advocacy is, is an ongoing thing. I don't think the system will ever be perfect. And we see that with cannabis. There's still advocates for medical cannabis because you know medical cannabis is the only prescription drug that's taxed in canada um Mm. there's still a shortage of doctors who are willing to prescribe this because they just don't know enough about it and like a a doctor doesn't necessarily want to go and learn about this on their own so there's there's a lot of work that still needs to be done even you know 22 years 21 years after uh, medical cannabis legalization so um right yeah, we'll we'll be around for yeah. a while still. Yeah, you're not you're not going to go running back to to selling weed uh, no. as soon as we hit <laughs> medical no, <I'm> psilocybin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the role just shifts, right? Like it'll yeah. it'll just change and, and pivot, and you guys will have so much experience and everything that you've done uh, to continue to be advocates for for pushing other movements forward. There's plenty of things mm-hmm. to to work on. Um, so so on that note, next steps like what um. You know what are you guys what are you guys working on right now? I know like last year was oh, I can't remember. I was talking to Tash like last year was just the big push for Section fifty six and to try and open yep. up that a little bit more. But now there's special access. So yep. so what are you guys working on? What's the big focus at Therasil? For sure. So um, I've got kind of three campaigns that I'm working on right now. The first campaign is um, we've got a bunch of healthcare practitioners who are training. Um, we have got 10 training cohorts. Um, we're teaching healthcare practitioners, nurses, doctors, psychotherapists, counselors, how to actually facilitate this treatment option mm. safely and effectively for patients. Um, but part of our training program has a experiential uh, module. Yeah. So what that means, and I'm sure you know what it means, is healthcare yeah. prof- professionals who are facilitating uh, psilocybin therapy for patients they should know what it's like. And uh, oh, yeah. I, I think some people think this is like a radical idea, but if you are a massage therapist, part of your training and becoming a massage therapist is getting and giving massages, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Of course. Um, yeah. If you are a talk therapist or just a regular psychotherapist, part of your training is you know, receiving the therapy um, mm. themselves. So this isn't novel. Uh, this isn't a novel idea for for psychotherapy in general. I think people just think it's like a little bit of an out there idea because like, oh, you want doctors to take psychedelics? What? Drugs? Um, you want doctors yeah. to do drugs? <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, doctors actually, already do drugs. <laughs> yeah. It's like actually <laughs> they we all do. do because <laughs> this is such a different modality than any other and if you personally don't know what it's like when a patient's telling you about their journey and their trip and Mm. you haven't experienced any altered state of consciousness how are you going to help them understand that journey and integrate that journey into their their daily life for lasting healing um Mm -hmm. and we also want healthcare professionals to do the work on themselves um it's easier to heal people when you yourself are healed or are healing Mm -hmm. so um Mm -hmm. yeah part of our part of our training program is this experiential bit but catch um healthcare professionals can't actually do this experiential module legally uh without their own section 56 so one of the big campaigns i'm working on now is continuing to advocate for healthcare professionals to actually get their section 56 exemptions approved i believe there's about 100 healthcare practitioners who have submitted uh exemptions um 
And the precedent has always has already been set in Jan. No, in December 2020, our former health minister Patty Haidu, she granted 19 healthcare professionals exemptions for training purposes. Yeah. And then no more were granted. Shut it down. <laughs> yep. But that's and now we have a new health minister, Pierre Du. Johnny Duclos. Johnny Duclos. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, how is it working with him? How is the I know there's been a complete stalemate since Patty uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with healthcare practitioners getting their yeah. exemptions. But tell me, tell me how the work yeah. has been so far. Better, in worse. In terms of patient exemptions, he's doing a great job. Um, mm. He since coming into power was it October or November he came into power? Sometime around there, he's granted mm-hmm. 16 exemptions, which okay. is wonderful. 16 out of 55. So. Um, and he granted three within his first week of being a health minister. So he clearly understands um, there's a need for this. He's on some level supportive because he's granting exemptions. He's granting them quicker um, and he's granting them more frequently. There are still a few exemptions that are sitting in the queue and have been for a long time that he's not mm-hmm. approved. Those exemptions are for uh, primarily uh, patients with um, PTSD um for example veterans and right. patients who have cluster headaches um and Jean-Yves and his administrative staff i think they're really struggling with the fact that for cluster headaches a patient doesn't necessarily need the psychotherapy component because they're treating themselves they're self-administering psilocybin uh mm. for a physical condition and in normally sub subhallucinogenic doses like they're usually taking microdoses or like right. less than a gram Mm-hmm. at a time so um yeah those exemptions are still sitting in the queue and we're advocating for those which is another campaign that i'm working on is um you know educating mps educating the health minister and educating the general public about you know what are cluster headaches why do we need to advocate for these exemptions specifically um mm. yeah so training exemptions uh, that is necessary because right now there's this bottleneck, right? Where you've got patients who are getting exemptions, but then nobody to refer the patients to <laughs> so they can actually have this treatment. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. We, just sending uh, them off to do psychedelics at home by themselves or with a friend, yeah. right? And yeah. it's like, th- that's not why the government approved their exemptions in the first place. Right, they approved right, them because right. they they knew they were going to get the, the proper help and support. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Interesting. And I mean... Always the undercurrent campaign is the need for regulations, the need for a better system than Section 56 and now a better system than the special access program. So you'll see us uh, in the near future. I mean, I think we've been pretty critical of the the SAP already, um, Mm -hmm. but poke holes in the system say, yeah, we tried it. Didn't work. It it didn't work. I mean, if it does work, phenomenal. For for a a select few patients, great. Let's get you access through the SAP. You don't have to wait a long time. It's like a 48-hour turnaround time. Uh, Mm -hmm. For a very, you know, small segment of patients, that's going to be awesome. Um, But we're not here to help just a small amount of patients. We're here to help anybody who needs access to psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy for their mental or their physical health. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when... You mentioned talking to MPs. Have you personally been educating and talking to MPs yourself? Um, so that's something Spencer Moore does. But okay. um, I, as a Canadian citizen, have my own MP. Um, and I've yeah. had several conversations with my MP. Um, and she's been 
quite supportive. Um, I'm not 100% sure what she's actually done behind the scenes, but every time I talk to her, she's like, yeah, I get what you're doing. She's in favor of, you know, drug decrim. Um, mm. She's she's on board. Um, she gets it. She's a liberal um, MP. Her name's Julie De, DeBrusen or DeBrusen. Um, yep. She's been wonderful. Um, hmm. So Spencer is more of the, the person who talks to members of parliament. Um, but my MP personally has been great and i'm very happy that she's you know willing to meet with me but but again that's her job right is like yeah. i'm her constituent um yes. i voted her into to power yeah. so uh listen to what i have to say please these issues matter to me um right, so my right, message right. to anybody listening to this podcast would be um because this blew my mind also i was like wait you can request a meeting with your member of parliament like politicians <laughs> yeah. can meet which is regular people and like hell yeah they can so email your member of parliament and say hey i want to mm -hmm. have a meeting with you psychedelic psychotherapy and access to the treatment option is super important to me uh let me know what time is good for you and th they hopefully will get back to you i mean that's their job is to listen to their constituents and then carry forth the message and the issues that matter from their constituents into parliament and to the higher uh higher levels of government mm. you just gave me a great idea i'm gonna get my uh local mp here on the podcast that'll be my nice. meeting come on oh. the, come on the podcast here's a meeting for i love you. that i love yeah. that <laughs> that'd be a cool conversation um yeah. right on so uh the other thing i wanted to ask too is when you're dealing with these section 56 and um special access program um are you always talking to the health minister like or does it change who you talk to? Is there like a consistency of communication line with uh, with Health mm. Canada? Great question. So in the legislation or the Section 56 section of the legislation, it is the health minister who's the person who signs off on this. Like it's their decision. Realistically, we're, we're dealing with bureaucrats in Health Canada's office. Uh, like it's no. not the health minister who's emailing us back being like, how many antidepressants has this person tried or, you know, or we need more right. information or give us more research. It's somebody in the exemption office um, and they never sign their name. So it's just, you know, so-and-so so from the exemption office. Yeah, um, I was, I was going to make yeah. the comparison of like, you know, when you get a call like a telecommunications company or something and like you get kicked out of the queue and you call back in, you keep getting someone different and you never know who it is. Absolutely. I'm like, I can it. picture the government working in the same way. Yeah. Like, I, I'm really curious to, to know kind of what their organizational system is on the inside. Like, do they have like, I can't imagine they have an Excel spreadsheet of patients. That would be not okay. Um, but I like, <laughs> but I'm just interested, like, where are they keeping notes? How are they deciding? You know, do they have like, like a checklist on a sauna being like, this patient, yeah. ah, we got their exemption. We got the letter of support from their doctor. We asked where they're going to keep their psilocybin. Um, like, I don't know how they're actually organizing it on their side. I'd be so fascinated to, to know that. Um, it's probably just but, a big, dusty old file cabinet in the basement somewhere. <laughs> a whiteboard? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But w whatever it is, yeah, we're, we don't know who we're talking to exactly. And that's why all of our messaging is directed to the Minister of Health. Because at the end of the right. day they're the one who has the, they're the only one who has the power to make the decisions um mm -hmm. which actually makes the sap process a little more complicated because there's no transparency there about who's making the decision uh. with section 56 it's very clearly written like the minister of health has the authority to 
uh, grant a Section 56 exemption. That that piece of information doesn't exist for the special access wow. program. So there's not one person or one politician that we can pin down and say, you, you need to grant <laughs> this exemption, which is what we do with exemptions. Right. I'm sure you've yeah. seen. You know, we have, have videos and tweets and all of yeah. our messaging is like, hey, Jean-Yves Duclos or before, hey, Patty Haidu. Um, yeah. So the transparency is lacking on the huh. special access program. Yeah, you can't have that. You can't just have an anonymous party on the other side when you're trying yeah. to make something happen. Well, that's got to change too, you would think. Yeah. You know? So hopefully like, let's we'll go get more information Come on. Yeah. Exactly. Let's... Uh, you appoint someone. Hundred <laughs> percent. They're like, we, we don't need to want be able to name names. We're, we're we're scared if they're still tweeting at us. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. They're like, I don't want to yeah. get yelled at anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right on. Okay, <laughs> this has been amazing. I'm I've just learned so much. I Yay. I feel like um, yeah, this is uh, this really clears up a lot of things, and I'm excited to share this with a lot of people because I know. Uh, just in, I know I live in a bit of a bubble here in Victoria, mm. and um, you know a lot of our friends are are users of of psilocybin in our daily lives, and we've done our own little therapeutic treatments, and uh, we want this to get out there. And you know we saw the news, and everybody got really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's, I mean, the silver lining is it's it's great to see Health Canada yeah. doing anything, right? Like absolutely, yeah, and understanding that. Uh, you know there is a bureaucratic process to everything and everything moves slow and there's a reason for that um but i I just want to commend your work and the work of therasel again for pushing this forward and keeping the ball rolling fixing that that broken wheel (laughs) yeah i feel it's such an honor to be able to speak to patients who have uh, received exemptions who are looking for access for this um and it's a duty right like i feel genuinely like somebody's got to do it and yeah. so our team our team will do it because health canada is not doing it like health health canada is not going to move on something unless pressure is put on them that's how Absolutely. the government works right is like you need to tell them this is what we want and we're not gonna let you get away with not doing it so right. um yeah it's an honor and a duty to to do what i do i as I said before, I I love my job. I love my coworkers. I love mm-hmm. uh, the patients that we support, the healthcare practitioners um, that are involved in this. Uh, I feel like I'm going to look back on this time and, you know, could be five years, could be 30 years, who knows? And just be right. like, holy shit, I can't believe we did that. That's wild. Yeah. So it's exciting. I love it's that. exciting. That's great. Yeah. And how about uh, maybe just one last word to let's just talk to the people specifically of Canada. You mentioned to reach out yeah. to their MPs. Yes. Um, what else? What else can we be doing to, to help this mission uh, get to where we yep. need it to? Yeah. Contact your MP. We have a really easy tool to do that on our website. Um, you can contact your MP with an email template within 30 seconds. Um, oh, amazing. Tweet at the minister. Um, say, hey, Jean-Yves Duclos. Why haven't you legalized psilocybin for psychedelic-assisted therapy yet? Um, And I'm not joking. Please tweet at him. Um, And also just have these conversations with your friends and your family. Um, Dispel myths. Uh, I know probably everybody has an uncle who knows somebody who had a bad trip on LSD who wants to just keep telling that story over and over whenever somebody brings up uh, psychedelics. So say, hey, but have you heard the story of Thomas Hartle? and how his life was actually changed positively by this. Um, yeah. Share patient stories. I think that's that's my favorite part of my job is amplifying the voices of patients and saying, 
sure, maybe the research is not 100% there yet, but you, you can't argue with the fact that this person is living proof that this changed their life. So yes. share the stories of people who have been positively affected by this. Um, that's one of the best ways to get the word out. Love it. That's uh, beautifully said. And if there's any patients that you have there that want to come on and talk to me, feel Great. free to throw them my way. I will always give people a platform to share their stories about how psychedelics help them in their lives because I agree with you. Me personally, that's that's the most – when you hear someone talk about how their entire physiology – psychology is completely shifted and changed from one experience and now they're a different person uh that's what we you hear those and it's really hard to ignore them right so yeah. those um those voices need to be louder and uh, i would love to give people a platform to to share so perfect i'll uh, i'll send an email to a couple uh, people right away awesome beautiful <laughs> okay well thanks again so much for your time holly yeah. uh this has been wonderful and um i'm look forward to uh connecting with you soon yeah, thanks, Brett. And uh, next time I'm in Victoria, I will uh, hit you up and we'll go for a coffee or a beer or something. Oh, love that. Awesome. <laughs> okay, until next time. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this week's episode, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate all you guys being here on this educational journey with us all. Uh, if you want to continue your education around the art, science, and business of psychedelics, I highly recommend you sign up for our newsletter. Just go over to dailymushroom.co, pop in your email, and every Friday you'll get a newsletter straight to your inbox uh, that keeps you up to date on everything happening in the world of psychedelics. You can also follow us on Instagram at dailymushroom.co and TikTok at dailymushroom.co. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you on the other side.